it. The story you are about to see this summer is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. For instance, Dan Aykroyd. Ma'am. Is Sergeant Joe Friday. Tom Hanks is Detective Pep Strebeck. I'm your new partner. My name's Friday. Take a lot of kidding about that? Almost never. You know the kinds of things that can fall into an industrial sausage press? Not excluding rodent hairs, bug excrement. I hate you, Strebeck. You got a lot of repressed feelings, don't you, Friday? Must be what keeps your hair up. Police officers, ma'am. Why couldn't you have got here before that big, bad, stupid-looking piece of sewage breath stole my white wedding dress? Just the facts, ma'am. We need to ask you a few questions. Their job. You know, Friday, I think we finally found your look. To enforce the laws. This is shaping up to be a little more than just a series of simple robberies. And preserve the safety of decent citizens. Stay back! I found the snake! Sure, this city isn't perfect. We need a smut-free life for all of our citizens. Cleaner streets, better schools, a good hockey team. Dragnet. A new generation of courage. Just the facts, man. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I am your host, Scott White, and I am joined once again by my good friend, Will Fordyce. Hello, hello. And Will has brought a guest, so this is a guest of a guest of a guest, Mr. Michael Rose. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Now, we have jumped through hoops to accommodate Michael to do this podcast. That's true. And and so he better come through. That's all I'm saying (laughs) right now. No pressure. Whatsoever. <laughs> I'm going, oh, yeah, I was just going to ask you. You said that you've done this podcast for Dragnet. Who was the original team for that? It was just me. It was a solo podcast. Okay. So this was actually either my second or third podcast. Really early on in the podcasting, I did it myself. And then Will contacted me and said that Michael is a big fan of this movie and he'd like to do a podcast about it. <laughs> and I, recently I've been doing... I've been redoing my earlier podcasts because they were early podcasts and they were a bit rough. So I've been revisiting movies and projects that I've done before. So I thought this would be a great, this would be a great project, a great movie to revisit with a Will and Michael. Well, he, you said Michael that this is one of your favorite movies or top top movies or what? Where does it rank on? Because you have nostalgia for it. Oh, huge insult. I mean, just growing up as a kid with the old uh, going to the grocery store and buying the, uh, renting the video along with the machine because the family didn't have the machine quite yet and watching that movie over and over again over a weekend, just laughing my ass off and memorizing every line and, and just, yeah, just stuck with me. Just having Dan Aykroyd, of course, the legend that he is, but Tom Hanks joining him at a, as a young actor too was pretty funny. This now, movie our- was, I mean, what's your perspective, Scott? Well, my, well, I was going to add, my perspective is, that Dan Aykroyd did a loving homage to the original Dragnet radio show and television show. Absolutely, he did. Yes. You could tell that he really. And how familiar are you two with the original, like the black and white? I mean, even the radio show. Are you guys familiar with the radio show, then the black and white show, and then the and then the colored Dragnet from the sixties? I I jumped in on the black and whites as a, as a young kid. My my dad was a big, big fan of Joe Friday, and just always, always saying things from TV, and I just got hooked. And of course, thanks to Nickelodeon and Nick at Night, that kind of thing, for bringing those shows back to watch over and over again. It was a lot of fun. And of course, being a huge MASH fan with, uh, 
you know, Harry Morgan, that was, uh, it's kind of cool to have him as the partner in that TV show as well. So my experience is, uh, that this is the first time I saw Dragnet, the movie. And I, I look, when I was looking it up, I was like, oh, there's an old, there's, uh, like past things before it. So I'm unfamiliar, uh, with that stuff. Uh, yes. Uh, Harry Morgan, I'm a big MASH fan as well. And so Harry Morgan is reprising his role as Bill Gannon. And he was Friday's partner in the 60s television show. There's a lot of nods to to the shows, the radio show and the television show in this movie. Such as the movie opens and that, that Harry Morgan... That beautiful. Yes. But did you notice that the opening, uh, Dan Aykroyd as Joe Friday parks in front of a fire hydrant? So he starts off the movie by breaking the law. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it, it also reminded me a little bit of like when I first started watching when it first the intro was rolling in. It reminded me of Police Squad a little bit. Police Squad is taken. Yes, it took from Dragnet. It took from M Squad. It took from Rocket Squad. So this was one of the inspirations of Police Squad. Hmm. Dragnet was yeah. But it was a beautiful intro, and just like you've mentioned in past podcasts, like Dan Aykroyd's, like just his delivery of lines, and 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 this movie have was just off the charts. Like he was on point for the entire movie and his character. Like even down to like when they were in the rail yard with Tom Hanks, and when they were like investigating, um, I think the stolen chemicals. Like even in his walk, he has that character stiffness. Um, so I just appreciated like his mannerisms and his like uh, what do you call it his. Um, like his jargon that he gets into? Yeah, his fast talk jargon. Uh, Dan Aykroyd really studied Jack Webb. He really studied his mannerisms and he got it down. And in the movie, Dan Aykroyd plays Jack's, Jack Webb's nephew. So this takes place, this movie takes place in the Dragnet world. So Joe Friday, the original Joe Friday exists. Bill Gannon, of course, exists. A nod to the earlier radio show and the black and white television show is the movie opens and Dan Aykroyd's original partner has quit and opened a goat farm. And his partner's <laughs> name was Frank Smith. And that was the name of Friday's partner in the radio show and on the television show. Oh. So once again, a nod, a nod to what came before. Oh, very cool. That it's makes this movie ten times better than I thought it was right there. That's pretty awesome. Well, and also, you see, when it opens, there's a pack of cigarettes on Dan Aykroyd's desk called Chesterfields. Mm -hmm. And that was a brand of cigarettes that Jack Webb promoted back then when you could promote, you know, when you could have commercials oh, sure. for cigarettes. <laughs> Chesterfield. Right on the TV. Yeah, right on the TV. So he did Chesterfield cigarette commercials. Well, so the movie opens up. We see Dan Aykroyd. He comes in and we find out that his... Actually, before that, we get the pagan, we get the big magazine fire. <laughs> That's right. I was I was also really excited because the the police chief, the like fake police chief that the cop runs to is the guy from he's the bad guy from Superman 2. I like yes. lit up and was excited. <laughs> Amel Muzz. Amel Muzz. Yeah. <laughs> this movie has great names. Like he's yes. named Amel Muzz and Tom Hanks character is called Pep Strebeck. It's like, who did, that's Pep Streetback. That's got to be one of the best names in movie history. But it opens up and like, it's an awesome intro because you immediately like get this ominous villain 
because um, they're they're at the they're at the what is it the magazine factory or a printer press. So they're they're burning up a bunch of bait magazines, which is mm-hmm. the equivalent of Playboy in this world, and they Thanks are destroying these affect the breasts of a forty three year old. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> is that your favorite line from the movie? Well, I mean, it's yeah. I was a little kid, and breasts, hello, boobs are awesome. Come on. <laughs> What a what a great way to start a movie! I, believe I was hooked in my consensus. middle school days. Yeah, so they burn all these girly magazines, and then we cut to Ackroyd and Hanks. They meet for the first time, and this is the first time we hear Ackroyd's fast uh, fast talk jargon. Because uh, when he meets Hanks, he's undercover, so he's got a bandana on. He's got long hair. He's wearing shabby clothes. But his intro Ackroyd- is awesome. His intro like is great. He's being towed in an erect vehicle. He's sitting in the wrecked vehicle and he like he he doesn't open the door but it falls out and it just like dila- you know it's dilapidated and he comes out and then that's when um Dan Aykroyd goes into his what was the he was quoting like dress code 8:47 a.m. Captain Gannon had assigned me to investigate the so-called pagan robberies. A pattern of serial crimes which had occurred throughout the city. They'd seemed merely irritating at first, but were quickly gaining notoriety through their growing frequency and naked brazenness. I was to contact my new partner at the central receiving lot. A less experienced peace officer might have been concerned he was getting potluck, but I knew that any detective the department had to offer me was automatically worthy of my respect. Say, Sergeant Friday? Who wants to know? I'm Peb Strebeck. I'm your new partner. Not looking like that, you aren't, mister. Oh, really? What's that supposed to mean? It means I don't care what undercover ruck you crawled out from. There's a dress code for detectives in robbery homicide. Section 3-605, 0.10, 0.20, 0.22, 0.24, 0.26, 0.50, 0.70, 0.75, 0.75, 0.75, 0.75, 0.75, 0.75, 0.75, 0.75, 0.75, 0.75, 0.75, 0.75, 
all this, and then having Dan Aykroyd there just being so matter of fact, and and then having Tom Hanks kind of play and bounce in between at. Uh, like you were saying, the, the character actors and everything just played so well together in all those scenes. Just the facts, ma'am. <laughs> that was a good through line that they put in uh, like every scene. Just the facts. <laughs> Dabney Coleman's playing the character with a lift. He looks mm-hmm. like this. Awesome. <laughs> I have a, I have every single, every single issue of the Bates 40th anniversary has been stolen. And so he's playing it with a lisp. But it doesn't it's ridiculous, but it doesn't seem ridiculous. It's it like fits in with the movie. It, it 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 should stand out, but it doesn't. Yeah, he didn't like overdo it, and it wasn't like a like a crutch or anything. It was just part of this person's reality. He just happened to have a lisp, right? Well, yeah. They didn't use the lisp for laughs, such yeah. as he couldn't say words or anything. That was just his character. His character had a lisp. And and, yeah, and the fact that they didn't use the list to get laughs, t- uh, tip of the hat, very very nice. It's just a huge marker for everyone's character to have that that frame of speech. I mean, Tom Hanks so animated all the time, trying to get everybody to loosen up, trying to get everybody to you know focus in. And Dabney Coleman with his uh, his demeanor and his uh, his lisp, like I said, and of course with uh, Ackroyd and his just very matter of fact, and everyone just trying. It seemed like in every almost every scene that they weren't. Um, they didn't want to trip you up, but they were trying to see if they could get some kind of a, a rise out of whomever they were talking to, just to just to kind of get them to step out of character or to slip up a little bit, a la like an SNL sketch. I mean, it seemed like they were having a lot of fun on set. I mean, I don't know. Usually, you know a lot of the backstory. Um, but do you know how like the cast worked with one another? Or is it? From what I gathered, there was no problem on the set. Everybody got along. Everybody liked each other. Everybody enjoyed each other's company, and they got they got the press performances out of everybody. That's perfect because, like, you could tell like this seems like a fun movie. Well, the chemistry between Hanks and Ackroyd is great. They they get along very very well. You can picture them as friends, but it doesn't get super close and mushy. Yeah, it's it's a nice. It's like, hey, we're partners. We like each other, but they're not falling over each other to to prove that they like each other. Yeah, I think just like you said, the pro character actors are like, you know, there's they're they're doing it so well that like it's it's part of the reality. It's not like somebody trying to do anything. And just the fact that Joe Friday has to get back porno magazines, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Jack Webb is rolling. If you watch the old Dragnet television series, all the stuff that Jack Webb stood for is gone. Marijuana is legal. Porno is legal. All the stuff that he spent his life trying to <laughs> trying to prevent, it's all legal now. And in this movie, his nephew has to find all these porno movies and take them back to the guy who made them. Well, also, it's like he mentions it like Dan Aykroyd's character. He's like, I, you know, I, I don't stand for what you're doing. You're smut, you're filth. But, you know, because the law is the law, I will do what my job is. So, I mean, there's a, there's a nod to it as well. Oh, yeah. But also at the mansion, like, I love the dynamic between Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd. How Tom Hanks is bouncing around and just enjoying all the splendor that is at the mansion. And, you know, Dan Aykroyd's character couldn't care less. And he's he's not oblivious to it, but he's just like... Just doing my job. Well, then we have Michael's favorite scene. With... <laughs> you want to go ahead and describe that, Michael? Well, it's, it's uh, 
they're waiting. I, I believe they're waiting just to have a conversation. And they, you know, Tom Hanks is just as Will just mentioned, ooing and eyeing over and oogling, ogling, whatever word you want to say over all these beautiful women at the Bait Mansion. And um, one of the former centerfolds walks up to Dan Aykroyd and opens up a robe and says, excuse me, do these look like the breasts of a 43-year-old? And Aykroyd, deadpan as can be, said, no ma'am, they're, they're, <laughs> they're stunning, they're perfect, they're exquisite, bordering on exquisite. can't remember exactly what he says, but just the fact that uh, um, he didn't break, he didn't step out of line. He's like, <laughs> very nice. We're we're here for official police business. Please move to the side, kind of mentality. <laughs> and then Tom Hanks even like bro codes, and he goes, "Hey, I'm gonna go look for my. I left my wallet in the car. It'll probably take me about twenty, thirty minutes. So um, I'll be gone. Good luck." And <laughs> straight laced Dan Aykroyd was like. No, I'll go help you look too. And then Aykroyd explains, you know, he's just not that kind of guy. That does that's not what Joe Friday is all about. No. And you know, very strong morals and character and, you know, um to each their own, I guess is the best in the circumstance. Because Tom Hanks, like throughout all the television, the radio, it's like the two cops were always the both the straight-laced cops. Joe Friday was straight-laced and whoever's partner was straight-laced. Now we get the mm. dynamic of the straight-laced guy and sort of the... He's still a cop, he's still a good cop, but maybe his socially moral compass is not... Doesn't point the same way as Joe Friday's. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> straight-laced versus like a human being where it's like, yeah, all right, well have fun then do they go investigate the wedding dress um yeah because they're bouncing around finding out was it the they're chemicals first around. or the wedding dress first i think oh, it was you, the, you know what it I was, think you're right somebody reported that their wedding dress has been stolen and they go investigate it now so this to me was a cool scene the woman who had her wedding dress stolen was, is an actress named kathleen freeman another great character actress oh she answers the door and she starts yell, you know, she starts yelling at him and cursing at him. Perfect landlord. Yeah. Why weren't you now, here? Like, yeah. Why weren't you here? Now here's the deal. She played the nun in the Blues Brothers, oh, and the scene right. in the Blues Brothers is the Blues Brothers were swearing at her. Now it's reversed, where she is swearing at Dan Aykroyd. About time you pencil dick showed up. Why couldn't you have got here before that big, bad, stupid-looking piece of sewage breath stole my white wedding dress? Miss Borden, sewage breath would be your little nickname for... Muzz. Emil Muzz. Hmm. Not much of an improvement. That asswipe also stiffed me for two months' rent when his deposit check bounced. Goddamn puss-faced little pimpstick. All that was left in this room was a big box of these things. Any idea where this animal must could be right now? Friends, family? Nah, he was alone. Uh, took off in the middle of the night. Useless, scum-lapping shitbag. Just the facts, ma'am. He leave anything else behind? Yeah, tape deck, which I had to sell to make up for the lost rent, so there's nothing you can do about it, you slimy little jizz bucket. Yes, ma'am, although I should point out to you that technically you could be cited for swearing at us like that. Says who, flathead? Says the California Penal Code, Section 314.1, covering obscene live conduct in public. Good enough for you, lady? The magazines and papers were his down in the trash. No checks of money, I looked. I should have thrown it all in the river the day he left, but unlike some people, I have a heart, goddammit. 
that miserable little bag of puke. The guy who stole her wedding dress and stiffed her for rent was Abel Muzz, and he was, of course, the big guy from the beginning of the movie. So now we have a name with the big bad guy. Big, bad, stupid looking, as she describes it. <laughs> <laughs> that poor guy. <laughs> I mean, he's in movies, so. He beat up Superman. He did. That's all I got from that's every line in his the Superman movie. I'm I'm actually that's what that's why I was surprised to see him because he's actually able to act in this one opposed to just like, you know, mute and, um, you know, uncomprehensive. So I appreciated being able to see him like actually do something. Oh, you know what we missed? We missed the zoo. That's where they went first. The zoo. Oh, that's right. So they, they get her. Yeah, they get a report from the zoo that a bat has been stolen a giant boa constrictor has been stolen, and a lion's mane has been stolen. <laughs> the 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 reveal was awesome. How they set that. I mean, I uh, we'll get there, but like at the one, two, three, the boa constrictor, and then the bat is gone. And I think they thought the snake ate the bat, and then the <laughs> the kids and everybody are watching the lion. How do you think these kids are going to feel? And then I don't want to spoil it yet, but the the reveal at the, the as the camera pans and cuts to the lion and the kids, you know, how how are those kids going to feel without a lion with a mane? Well, it's this. So they yeah they cut the mane, and this was the '80s, so they gave the lion a mohawk. So this lion has a mohawk, and the kids are just looking at it, and okay. <laughs> and Dan Aykroyd's dejected. He's like, "How do you think these kids are going to go through life knowing that?" You know, this happens in the world. And he's like, it, it'll grow back. And he continues to pontificate. And Tom Hanks turns to the kids. It'll grow back. And all the kids cheer. It was <laughs> it was a nice little fun moment. Tom Hanks is in this movie to take the piss out of Joe Friday. Sometimes. <laughs> which was mm. not in the television series or the radio show. I mean, it was totally straight in the radio show. Uh, Joe Friday was always right. His word was always gospel. And now in this movie... We have a character that has a counter view of Joe Friday and maybe can let Joe Friday know, well, maybe this is not the best way to handle this. Maybe there is another way to handle it. And that was a nice twist on the dragnet where Joe Friday is not right all the time. He ha- and he, he has a counter. He has a counterpoint in Tom Hanks. Yeah, I think throughout the movie, like towards the end, they they have some shifts where, you know, the, the characters grow like Tom Hanks gets a little more tight uh, and then. Uh, Dan Aykroyd's character gets a little more loose. So then after the zoo, that's when we have the wedding dress. And they they follow, she goes, I've thrown away some of his stuff. And they follow this garbage truck. And they're on a bench in a park. And they're going through garbage. Attacked by ducks. And they're attacked by ducks. And this is where, like, this scene here just capsulates the 80s perfectly. Because they're going through the garbage and they find a Polaroid. A Polaroid picture. <laughs> and on the back is written a phone number. They have to find a payphone in Los Angeles. <laughs> That's right. They can't call it in on their CB and their radio. They have to go to the payphone. They have to go and, to yeah. several payphones because they're all broken. They're all broken. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like nowadays. You go to a payphone and that's all muddled up and knocked over but <clears throat> yeah they, but you know what they... you're not gonna find in front of a payphone nowadays a line there was a <laughs> line 
like a block long in front of the one payphone working in Los Angeles. <laughs> Scott, those were the days. Let me just say that. Those were the days. So they make the they make the call to the number on the Polaroid. Um what what happens? Isn't it um it's <clears throat> Oh, somebody somebody picks up. It's the mansion. It's Dab, it's uh Jerry Caesar's ma- it's the mansion. And once again, and I think we missed it again. I think we skipped over before we get here is the gas. The gas or the train, the like the chemical um, heist? The chemical train yard. Yeah, gotcha. the chemical heist. We've been hopping around here, but just to consolidate here. Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks, they investigate the stolen magazines. And they have to investigate the stolen animals from the zoo. Then they investigate the stolen wedding gown. And they also investigate stolen gas, stolen chemicals. There's two train loads of chemicals. If they're separate, they're fine. Well, not fine, but they're not deadly. But if you combine them, they make a colorless, odorless fertilizer, which, if inhaled too much, will cause death. Also, I don't think we mentioned yet the um, the reason they're following these clues is like this stuff is, is all... Uh, correlated together because people the the group called pagan is they're leaving their calling cards like literally um they're leaving like pamphlets and cards so the you know all these are kind of like they're they're piecing together the puzzle of what's going on but they have no idea like the what's culminating pagan has stolen magazines animals address and chemicals we find out that abel muzz is Dabney Coleman's chauffeur. So he works for the guy whose magazines he stole and set on fire. It's all sort of convoluted right now. It's still a mystery to everybody because we don't know all the facts right now. And so they don't they they go to his. Um, oh, no, they on the phone. Don't they ask the person like uh, is Emil Muzz there? And he's like, oh, no, he's he would be um, at the docks this time driving the the owner of the magazine company and then we get to the docks and they confront him before this didn't they have their car stolen oh shit we're missing all kinds of shit michael why are you jumping in here michael you gotta help us here mike (laughs) you gotta jump in and help us because will and i are evidently missing a whole ton of shit going on in this movie (laughs) i'm I'm causing all kinds of trouble over here Something one one of the favorite scenes that we also I think we missed during the as they're doing these clues and stuff is you see them walk up to right before the car is stolen. Um, they order food and you see a plate of vegetables and hands come and collect it. And you see these two like slathered chili dogs like covered in just like mess and beans. And you, you think, OK, the clean laced guy has the plate of veggies and and fruits and stuff. And then, so Dan Aykroyd's character, and then they go and sit down, and Dan Aykroyd, he, he's like, I only have one thing in life I enjoy, and it's a dirty, messy, chilly dog, you know? And so the the juxtaposition of character, and Tom Hanks is kind of nagging him while he's eating his fruits and vegetables, like, do you know what's in that stuff? Do you know <laughs> what you're eating right now? Do you know what falls into a, a, a meat grinder that they, you know... <laughs> And he's like, lay off. This is the only thing I got. <laughs> yeah, that and smoking. That and, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, <laughs> smoking was uh, not as bad as it is today, right? <laughs> no, I, I mean, it was still it was, it was still bad for you, but it wasn't looked down upon as it is today. 
Yeah. But that that's where they had the car stolen is because they're sitting at the, the hot dog shop or the eatery and these random, <laughs> these random, it, I think it's random. These random people like jump in the car and just steal it. Um, and later we find out who it was, but um, uh, they go back to the shop and they're like, as soon as we, you know, they're talking to the chief and it's fun because it's set up perfectly because he's like, you know, oh, you need to be careful because um, people are stealing police cars um, as they're coming up and t- tell them like, hey, we need an ac- acquisition, a new vehicle. <laughs> there again, just that straight lace and the, the two different parties involved in this, just having having an opportunity to bounce off of each other into, you know, it's that whole that whole um, police squad and everything else that we've, we've talked about. This movie is just perfectly laid out as far as the character development goes. They've cast this movie perfectly. Yeah, everybody in it is on point. So after they steal the, after they go and try to get a new car, that's when they, I think they get the Polaroid and they're digging through the mess and stuff. And then they find out, what's his last name? Moz? Moz. Um, is the driver. So then they go uh, to the docks. So we're back at the docks and he, um, uh, he's, he's just sleeping there in the car. Yeah, he's sleeping they, there in the car. And they knock on the window, and Abel Muzz, he doesn't give a shit that these are cops. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> we get our first car chase of the movie after this. Yeah, oh yeah, and then as he's pulling out, like, he runs over. I mean, it was a quick little throwaway, but, like, I like Dan Aykroyd's face when the car, like, he drives over his feet. And so we hear the, like, crunch sound, and then Dan Aykroyd just, like, freezes, and he's, like, going through, you know, all sorts of pain, comically, of course. Uh, as he waddles back to the car, so they jump in, so they can get into the car chase. Uh, which he's like, is Tom Hanks driving? In this yes, scene? Tom Hanks is driving okay. because Ackroyd just got his feet run over. And at this point, Ackroyd is giving Tom Hanks shit about his driving. Oh, you're breaking um, all the all the all the violations and the moving violations and all that. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, during the chase, that was awesome. That was a fun yeah. setup. Like he's. Uh, Running red lights, uh, not using your signal, weaving in and out of traffic, uh, disregarding stop signs, uh, f- driving on pedestrian things. He's like, yeah, this guy's really racking it up. And Dan Aykroyd turns to Tom Hanks and he's like, no, I'm talking about you. What's great about this movie is there's a lot of setups that pay off. I hate mm-hmm. movies that set something up and and it doesn't pay off. This scene sets up a great payoff at the end of the movie. Yeah, I think you're on point with that is because a lot of movies nowadays, they they have all those throwaway jokes that don't add up to anything. But in this movie, like if you see something, oh, I forget what it is. It's the, for for lack of a better term, Franklin's gun, where like if you see a gun in the beginning, it gets used at the end. So I truly appreciated like um, that, you know, things meant something in the movie. It wasn't just a quick... Like, even with the, the car and random thieves stealing stuff, it comes back later, um, a little bit later in the movie. And this is something, and this might have been my uh, Mandela effect, is <laughs> during the car chase, Abel Muzz runs through a, he, he, he's driving on the pier, and he runs through a shack that's selling stuffed animals. So a dog gets caught on the front of his car, and I could have sworn that that dog was Odie from the Garfield cartoons. Oh. For some reason, I had it in my mind that that was Odie, but it wasn't. It was just an, an irregular stuffed animal. 
So that was my Mandela effect of this movie. It's like I'm watching it and I'm going, I could have sworn that was Odie. <laughs> I, I, re, I re specifically remember that dog being Odie. And the time frame works out because Garfield was pretty big around this. Yeah. This time frame. I wonder if they did like any reshoots or anything just because, um, you know, I, I don't know Jim Davis, but, um, you know, I wonder if it was like a copyrighted character. That uh, they were like, no, nah, you got to remove Jim, that. Jim Davis has sold Garfield to just about everybody. I'm sure. <laughs> That's true. Good point. Street, Very I good am. point. Very yeah, good point. I don't I gotta, unless he wasn't getting paid. Yeah, I don't think it was copy. I just don't think it was. I think if they wanted to use Garfield, he yeah, give me the money and you can sure, use whatever. Odie Garfield anybody. Yeah, <laughs> I have three coffee mugs that agree with you. So what happened? So they they, they capture Abel running, and they put yeah. him in the the interrogation room. Oh yeah, no, this is the scene mm -hmm. coming up. I just yeah, I just got a an exhilaration of some fun. Because um, it's a fun interrogation scene. The even... scene starts off where Emil spits. He doesn't. And it yeah. hits. He, I, 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 and I know he didn't spit, but whatever it was, the, the like they throw this gunk that looks like a loogie on Ackroyd's nose, and it's just the most disgusting thing it's in the gross. world. Yeah. <laughs> and it just the yeah the they the props department did great with that because it was disgusting you are right 100 percent. because even like when he's cleaning it off i cringed a little bit i was like oh <laughs> but they're but he, um maz is not again he still has the same mentality of like go f yourself because he he has a lawyer coming and he knows the rules and these cops aren't going to touch him so he's like you know whatever you can't do anything so f off so to me this was an interesting scene in that Ackroyd co-wrote this movie with two other people, and I can't think of their names, but he co-wrote this. He's showing love to Joe Friday and Jack Webb. We all know that the original Dragnet, that was just police propaganda. Police could do no wrong. Police were right all the time. Total police propaganda. But here we have a scene where a police officer basically tortures... A subject, a subject to get information, which would never have been in the original television show or radio show. <laughs> never. Look, Muzz, we've got you on 87 violations of the Motor Vehicle Code. It's only a matter of time before we tie you into one of those pagan jobs. Not to mention the fact that you stole your landlady's wedding dress, which so far is the only endearing thing about you. So why don't you talk to us? Listen, you public pawn. My attorney's on his way, and we both know I'll be out of here in 20 minutes on bail. So take off these cuffs and over the door. I wouldn't worry about the door, Muzz. The kind of scum who'd represent you would just ooze right under it. Look, Joe, uh, why don't you go get a couple of cups of coffee? I know I could use one. You want anything, Muzz? Chewing gum, a Snickers bar, and my attorney badge kisser. I guess it's just you and me and your balls and this drawer. By the time I'd returned with coffee, Muzz was singing like Beverly Sills. 
I don't know. What did you think of that, Michael? What did you, how did you think of that scene? How, how did that stand out for you with what you knew about Dragnet and Jack Webb and all that? Well, it, like, it was so far and away from what is accept, acceptable, of course, to treat anybody, but just the, the measure that they all went to to get information because Emil Muzz, as a, as a person, is gigantic. You know, he just consumes the, the frame. He, you know, how do we get through to this gentleman? How do we, gentlemen, this thing, this monster, this whatever this <laughs> Poor is. Actor. Poor guy. <laughs> yeah. So how, do, how do we get through to him? How, you know, we need to make, break him. And, and what do we, you know, just the extreme measures they went to. And of course, the electricity and, and everything else that they, I think it was electric. Was it? No, they, the, after Emil Muzz spits on his face, he like cleans it off. And Tom Hanks looks at Dan Aykroyd and he's like, hey, man, I think we could use a cup of coffee. And um, oh, that's right. He, Thank he, you. Yeah. He's like, what do you want? And he's like, give me a pack of smokes and some gum. Um, and they're like, OK. And Dan Aykroyd's straight lace character leaves the room. And um, Tom Hanks character, the torture part is he pulls out a drawer to where he's he slams oh, his right. nuts into. Um, so he, you know, after that, you hear like the door, the drawer slamming. And Emil Muzz screaming. Oh, that's, oh, and Dan Aykroyd has like a, a sinister smile on his face. A little maybe out of character for his... Yeah, I was just about to say that. He has a little smirk like, okay. And the real Joe Friday, that would never have flown with the real Joe Friday. Yeah, because you were saying that in the show, it was like showing how cops are like upstanding citizens or upstanding members of society yeah. versus... This is where we first see Dan Aykroyd kind of like break a little in character. That's right. Um, yeah. Where we're like he's okay with this, and he voluntarily not voluntarily. I mean, he's requested to leave the room, and it's against the book. But he's like, hey, we need results, and so he he acquiesces to um, Tom Hanks' request to leave, so he could rough him up a little bit by slamming his testicles in a drawer. <laughs> Which, by the way, so that means you got to stand him up, take yeah. his pants down. Open like, the drawer. Open the drawer, get him, place him over. That's a <laughs> lot of work to do. <laughs> but uh, they do cut back, and I think it's funny, the like his calm and cool nature, um, e- Emil Muzz, before the scene, and then like after we hear him screaming and Dan Aykroyd's getting coffee, we cut back, and Emil Muzz is just sweating bullets and just like freaking out and the quote was singing like a canary (laughs) (laughs) and so they they get a lot of information out of emil muzz in this scene because you know rightly so um certain areas are sensitive and you know you do what you do (laughs) so they find out where a big pagan ritual is going to happen that night Mm -hmm. now before we get to the pagan ritual we have to set up the Christopher Plummer character. So during the movie, we see uh, Christopher Plummer is a big time religious figure, and he is what he—he's Reverend uh, Reverend Reverend Worley, and Reverend Worley has come to Los Angeles to clean up the filth. So throughout the movie, up until this point, we just see him on television shows, basically being holier than thou. It's like, I'm here to clean up the filth in L.A. So that's what we know about Christopher Plummer and his character up until this point. 
Oh yeah, because it's and, it, yeah they they set it up very nicely because they yeah you just see this preacher this awkward like laughing at I guess his own jokes and stuff during these scenes so he seems like an awkward but you know nice guy. We talked about how Dabney Coleman talks with a lisp and Tom Hanks is excitable and Dan Aykroyd talks you know like Joe Friday. The Reverend Christopher Plummer also has a way of talking. He talks. Like he's talking to children. Even when he's talking about his evil plans, just the way he talks, he talks in this low, this low voice. He never gets excited. Even when he's talking about murder, it's it, like he's talking to <laughs> a three-year-old explaining how Legos work. That's how he talks to everybody all the time. It's a little Mr. Rogers-esque to it, kind of a thing. Yes, even when he's... Later in the movie, he kidnaps a woman and is making sexual advances towards her, but he's also talking to her like she, which is really creepy, talking to mm. her like she's a three-year-old, which is just really off-putting. Oh, yeah. Towards the end of the movie when they're, or, yeah. like, when they're flying in the plane. Right, yeah. Yeah. And then he, like, correct, yeah, he's, he, he turns into a creep, definitely. Well, no, he's always a creep. Oh, but, good point. Uh, yeah. I mean, up until, never mind. <laughs> we find out that he's a creep. It's unveiled. You were getting to that, you know, you're setting up Christopher Plummer, but yeah, that, that whole introduction of all those characters, especially him, just thinking, okay, this is who we have, this is who they're going to be, and this is how it's going to go throughout, so we just kind of settle in with these characters and, and how they speak or how they interact with each other. And, you know, back to the interrogation room and now to Christopher Plummer and, and the antics that he portrays as he moves forward we're like wait a minute what happened what did i miss or what's what's going on here <laughs> when did this shift happen or you know it's just it gets it gets better you kind of lift off your chair a little bit going what's going to happen now or what wasn't this a nice person wasn't yeah i just really enjoyed how how well everybody moves forward throughout this whole entire mm -hmm. sequence so our next scene is Aykroyd and Hanks are going undercover to the, the greatest costumes ever in film. If you ask me, I'm gonna admit <laughs> this. This was a little silly. Okay, <laughs> I will think? admit I enjoyed it, but this was kind of silly. Um, I agree. Yeah, it's, they they didn't they didn't blend in. They they I mean in normal society they stood out. Because they're they're dressed like in some odd costumes. Well, they assumed it was going to be some kind of big cult ritual kind of thing, and they, you know, they saw the pamphlets about Pagan, and they got their goat skins on and all their leather and <laughs> punked out and <laughs> just. Yeah, I think just, that's a good. That's the perfect way to say it. Is like punked out. Especially well, Aykroyd's Aykroyd, character. Aykroyd is punked out. Yeah, they dress Hanks like a Latino. <laughs> With, oh, with, that's right. With the hairnet. Hey, I'm yeah. Muzz Amel. Amel Muzz. I love that when he introduces himself, trying to pass himself off. Or... <laughs> they dress up in the, they, what was the quote? I think it was like, the we we scoured and like did a lot of research and this was the best we come up with. And then they take their new, was this when they, no, they take their other car. Um, they take a beat up junker. Yeah. And then they take it up to the um, meeting of the festival. 
where this big event is. And they, on the way, they get pulled over by um, some sheriffs, right? Pagan has been stealing cop cars. Which is the call, like you were saying, like the, Which is the, the random, callback. It was so just get, awesome. Yeah, so they get pulled over, and you think it's two real cops, but it's two fake cops in fake uniforms driving a real cop car that has been stolen. In all honesty, like, I, I got a little tense there, because I was like, I was like, wait a minute, are they going to say that they, you know, hey, we're on a mission, we're doing this, and reveal everything, but no, they, like, and when it was revealed, it was actually a surprise to me, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense, like, it, it was perfectly orchestrated. Well, Friday was able to kind of, you know, figure that out, oh, okay, they, they're not regulation, or there was something to the effect of how those fake police officers presented themselves when they got pulled over to to tip Ackroyd off to go, oh, this, this is what's going on, so... That's what I, that's they're, what they're I not, gathered. From. They're not by the book. So his instincts kicked in. Yeah. I picked up that, yeah, that Ackroyd or Joe Friday is a good cop. So he's going to know if anything's out of. Yeah. I, and he's such a good cop. Like he states the obvious, like when they, they finally do pull up and it's just this giant electric billboard pagan people <laughs> against goodness and normalcy that's what pagan yeah. stands for <laughs> and they got cattle prods and people are running around with with goat masks on and there's fires and ackroyd's ackroyd goes you know i think we're on to something and hanks is like you think <laughs> it's the perfect like image of the like satanic panic because um, that's what you know that's what i assume everybody thinks is the big like you know, this big festival with just debauchery and they they have like um, barbecue spits uh, with just hunks of meat being turned on fire pits and, you know, dancing around and goat music and uh, with goat legs and, and like, you know, rhythmic music and stuff. It's, it, it's a, it's a well orchestrated scene. The movie is shot very well. And this, the choreography, not the choreography, the cinematography I guess the choreography, there is a lot of choreography that's going to go on, but the cinematography, it's shot at night, but it's lit by the fires. It's so you can see what's going on. Nothing worse than a night scene where you can't see what's going on. But it's a night yeah. scene. You know it's night, but you can see everything. Very well shot, very well lit. And then I also liked when when they're like walking around um, and they're seeing all this debauchery uh, go on, and then this guy in a goat mask walks up with just a tray of random pills, and he's like, "A big surprise before the you know before the festival or something." And um, <laughs> Tom uh, Dan Aykroyd's like, "Oh no, thanks. Uh, I had a big lunch." And then Tom Hanks like picks one or two pills, and then he takes a handful of random pills, and then he takes another handful more. It was just the perfect like, "Yeah, I'll die then." Well, you had to do that so you wouldn't stand out. Yeah, that's that's why he did it. Yeah. That's why I would do it, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, the ritual starts, and there's yeah. this guy in this flowing gown and a big goat's head, and they're going to sacrifice a virgin. And they get this... So we find out what happened to the wedding dress, so there's this... Okay, so I'll, I'll ask you guys this. Why did they... When you find out later why everything is happening, it, it makes sense... But why did they have this pagan ritual? What was the point of it? Was the point just to rile up people to... 
I'm, I'm not sure of why they had to have this ritual. Huh? Any uh, any ideas from you two? Well, I, mean, I was going to say that you know that cult following. It's you you do as you are, as the leader tells you. You do as the uh, the crowd goes. You you follow everything that is put in front of you. And you know this isn't just uh, you know an activism um, group. This is an actual cult. This is a group of people that have bought in hook, line, and sinker to uh, to all that's going on. And and this is this is their you know, this is, for lack of a better word, I guess their faith or their church. You know, this is what we do. We, we're uh, we're getting rid of all these things, but uh, in order to please, you know, the the whatever God or whatever leader we have, then we we follow what He tells us to do. And by golly, we're going to sacrifice this virgin, and that will appease whomever, and then we'll keep moving forward and burning more magazines and doing what we need to do. That's that's what I gathered from it. I think, yeah, from the leader's perspective, it's to, like you were saying, Scott, like rile up the masses because they they went through all this, um, you know, these deeds of stealing the chemicals, stealing the, um, I think the stealing the chemicals um, was kind of the real thing. But the, the snake, the virgin, the dress were kind of just to make it seem more uh, like Michael saying, like more spiritual and more... Um, uh, reverent and selling the yeah selling the the I remember this makes me think of the scene um, in Bowfinger where uh, Steve Martin's talking to uh, Eddie Murphy's nerd character and he's like what I want you to do is get some pencils and get them really sharp and go do this and go get us coffee and make sure it's really good and then also call your brother because we really need him for this um, I think I think the prior tasks were to just kind of keep the cult going and the real task that the owner wanted or the leader was the chemicals. Um, Cause that comes, that's the really the only big thing that happens at the end other than this like ceremony uh, that's going on at this present moment. I, you, you think you guys haven't cleared it up for me, but thanks for anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> end of podcast. Two up. perspectives. <laughs> the pagan leader, he releases the bat. So we find out what happened to the bat. He throws the lion's mane into this pit. And now a woman comes out in a wedding dress. So now we know about the bat, the wedding dress, and the and the lion's mane. And they throw this woman into a pit. And Ackeroid and Hanks dive in after her. And now we have found the giant boa constrictor. <laughs> that was a fun <laughs> reveal, too. I like that was a good setup. Hanks is just like, found the snake! <laughs> well, and then they're they're thrashing about and and fighting the snake. Um, Dan Aykroyd's helping save um, the lady with their being constricted, and then Tom Hanks is punching the head, and it's this giant, huge what what do you like twenty foot snake or uh, fifty foot I, snake or something? I think it was thirty feet, thirty foot, thirty snake. feet. Um, and then I mean, again, the callbacks come back because Tom Hanks. Um, you know, for posterity reasons, grab the pills, um, but he pulls them out of the pocket. And as they're fighting and struggling, he shoves, uh, you know, handfuls and handfuls of these pills into the snake's mouth and like makes them swallow it. So, um, you know, thus killing the, you know, making the snake go through whatever pills, handful of mystery pills were in his pocket. Yeah. And the snake falls dead and they escape. And then the leader tells his minions, don't let him escape. They go through this tunnel and they run out of the tunnel and all of a sudden they're greeted with chants, kill the good, kill the good, kill the good. 
Ackroyd, being Joe Friday, tries to arrest. He holds up his badge. It's like, you're all under arrest. <laughs> <laughs> and he starts reading the rights, the Miranda rights. Yes. <laughs> what what balls? <laughs> and belief I in don't society. Think I don't think it's balls. I think it's belief in society. Okay. And, and it's belief in his, I mean, it, it, it takes balls to be a cop. To him, I don't, I think that's just how it should be done. So that's how it's going to be done. And the naivety that a massive the, group of people. Yes, that that all these people are going to respect the badge the way you respect the badge. I yeah. think Aykroyd, Joe Friday, thinks that people think the way he thinks, where he has <laughs> massive respect for the badge, he has massive respect for for people, and I don't think he realizes that people don't think the way he thinks. <laughs> well, then that, I mean, that's good that he has, like, Tom Hanks there as juxtaposition, because... Tom Hanks' character realizes, oh, this isn't going to work. Because <laughs> the, the crowd's almost staring at him, befuddled, like, is this guy for real? Right. And then Hanks just fires his gun in the air, and they all scatter. Which is perfect. Like, that's, you know, he knows a little bit more about reality to, like, no, no, this this needs to happen. But also, don't we find out, is it before that scene or just after where the, what's her name, Virgin? Connie Swale. Connie Swale um, bumps into the leader. And while they're escaping, Connie Swales d- jumps into the leader, flips the mask off, and it's Christopher Plummer, Reverend, uh, what is it, Reverend Worley. Yeah. So this big religious guy is the one in charge of Pagan. So now we know who the main bad guy is. And then also, I appreciated the callback, because as after the hustle and bustle, and Tom Hanks fires the gun, and people scatter... Um, they're running towards uh, the batch of, like, the front and the batch of cars where everybody was parking. And it was a beautiful callback. Hey, that's our car. That's, let's steal it back. So I thought that was, again, another beautiful, like, setup. And now's the punch. And uh, it pays off because the car was stolen and now at this place. So they get to take it back. And they eventually escape. They escape and then they take Connie Swales home. And then they go back to the office and tell the report to Harry Morgan, Bill Gannon. <laughs> and, and they that was reenact fun... the dancing. Yeah. <laughs> and that guy's just, the boss is sitting there like, uh, what? And then I think he's like, y'all have been, like, y'all have been awake for, what was it, like 48 hours or something. And they're dancing and, like, going through all this stuff. And Tom Hanks, like, um, they're reenacting the whole ceremony. And then um, I think he's like, yeah, yeah, right. I'm, I'm sure this all happened. Do you have any proof or evidence? And Tom Hanks, I forget what he has in his pocket. That he's, is got a pa- he's got a pagan That's right. flyer. And then he, he pulls that out, but also spills the remainder of the like mystery colored pills that was, <laughs> that was from the party. And so just making sure that they're like even less valid of an answer is has just transpired so he's like get out of my office <laughs> and the whole what what has become of you joe friday to be acting like this and to you know support such poor police protocol etc that's uh I'm, I'm ashamed of you and just yeah just get out of here but i think don't they eventually convince the boss he's like no listen we'll go to the site we'll go look at everything get the is it the mayor it's the a lieutenant mayor or the assistant mayor. Gotcha. So yeah, the, yes. So the assistant Jane Kirkpatrick 
is the assistant mayor, and we're going to find out later that she's in cahoots with the Reverend. So she's she's also a bad guy in this movie, or a bad person. So they go back to the ritual, and it's all gone. It's all gone. Not a speck <laughs> is left. It's cleaned up very well for, for maniacal people against good and normalcy. They clean up pretty well. And even the, the, the thing that boggled my mind was like the, even the pit was filled. So they, they like filled the pit up a little bit. Um, but you really think for a second, like, okay, maybe they were just having some kind of bender and hallucinating to a degree. Cause like, you know, the, everything's gone. And even Dan Aykroyd's pointing, he's like, no, there was a big neon sign right there. And this, and he's acting out. And that's where the giant snake came out and attacked us. <laughs> and it's just, and is this where he gets relieved of duty? No. Okay. No, this is when he gets scolded. And gotcha. he basically says, your uncle would have been very disappointed in you, Joe. Like, oh, oh, that's gotta hurt. Yikes. Yeah. And then what's the so, scene? Oh. The, the scene after then... that is where, so what we haven't mentioned is that there was, there was chemistry between Connie Swales and Joe Friday. There was a there was immediate chemistry between the two. Her, her her hero came and you know that you know she's the virgin right and the the beautiful part is how Joe very matter of factly always referred to her as who she is the virgin Connie Swale. He literally that, that plays into it every in, in the end as well. So he what well, yeah he literally rescued a virgin, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is, is where... which is on the nose. It's like you don't get more fairy tale than that. <laughs> rescuing a virgin <laughs> which is uh, yeah um is that so then he how do we he's kind of being vague about he's, like he's kind of he's kind office. of being vague where he's go he's talking to hanks and he's kind of be, being vague where he's going so hanks follows him to this house and, and i like the scene where he he dan Aykroyd goes into the house and tom hanks has like a little aside to himself I knew it. It's Nightmare on Elm Street. And that would make him Freddy Krueger. We're going to be driving along some night, and the lighting's going to be bad, and he's going to mistake me for some pretty little co-ed, and out comes that claw, and... <laughs> 170 pounds of ground chuck. He's like, he's Freddy Krueger. I'm in some kind of nightmare. And then there's some good, like, fun little scene where... Tom Hanks is acting out like this little mini- miniature massacre um, to himself before he approaches the, um, you know, goes up and finds out what's really going on with Dan Aykroyd, uh, Joe Friday's character. This is his maternal grandmother, Monday. <laughs> Monday. And I like that he says to um, Michael's point, it's like he's very a statement of fact. And it's like, this is my grandmother on the maternal side. That's all the extra details. A normal person would just, oh, this is my grandma. But he's like, nope, so many details. <laughs> <laughs> because he just wants the facts, and these mm-hmm. are the facts. Just the facts, ma'am. He's taking his grandmother out for her birthday to the Brown Derby. Is that still around, the Brown Derby? I know it was a famous restaurant um, in L.A. I for don't... a time. I know it from Lucy. I love Lucy, but that's my, I would I, I don't know. The Brown Derby is a really famous restaurant in L.A. I'm not sure if it's still around. 
He's taking her to the Brown Derby, and he has invited the Virgin Connie Swales to come along. <laughs> but I like how Tom Hanks is like shoehorning in his invitation yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the front door before they leave. And Dan Aykroyd's very much like, I'd rather you not. And he's like, no, nah, I got free time. Let's go. And then the maternal grandmother insists that Pep Strebeck goes with him. Because he's a nice boy. Yeah. He's a good looking boy. <laughs> ah, thank you. <laughs> Which comes into play later. Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> so they're all at the Brown Derby eating. And then at the other table, it's the Reverend and Lieutenant Governor and Bill Gannon, the captain of the police. So everybody so, that is like in cahoots is at the other the, table at the Brown Derby. Right. All the main characters are at the Brown Derby. I, I'm going to give it a pass, but this is very, very convenient that everybody just happens to be at the same restaurant at the same time. I'll forgive it because I like this movie and it has a lot of clever writing, but this is very, very convenient. Oh, we just happen to be at the restaurant at the same time as the guy who tried to feed you to a snake. Because <laughs> um. it's the, yeah, Virgin Connie Swale is the, that she like recognizes the Reverend and he, she free, like, she doesn't like have a big freak out, but she like tenses up and goes, that's the guy. That's the guy I saw at the festival. Um, after a few like dinner banter moments. And then everybody realizes that's Reverend Worley, the big time Reverend. Yeah. And he's there with the Lieutenant Governor and the Chief of Police. You can't just go arrest him. Doesn't he, he waits for him to go to the bathroom though, doesn't he? He's like, are you sure about that? And then he follows him into the bathroom. (laughs) Yeah. And he's taking a dump. So Ackeroyd is delivering this all-American speech to a stall door while this guy is taking a dump on the other side of it. (laughs) But he also gets like people like, I thought it was awesome. Like as he delivers his final line, um, the guy comes out and like all the restroom people, the people in the restroom start cheering for him. And he's like, yeah, he's right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They start applauding as he handcuffs the reverend uh, to himself. Uh, like, he he keeps him, his hand and the reverend's hand are cuffed together. So he, he doesn't, doesn't even let him wash his hands or cry. He just took a dump. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. I did, <laughs> no. I did notice he tipped on the way out. He immediately, yeah. like, drops in some change. But you, you're right. He didn't wash his hands. I thought that's what he was walking towards to go do. But he drops change to tip the, uh, uh, what is it, the restroom attendant, attendant yeah. which was awesome. So then he's he's walking the reverend out to get to... But he walks by the the table with everybody else um, to kind of announce his arrest, right? Right. And basically everybody says, let him go. You're insane. You're insane. Let him go. He lets him go. And this is where he gets stripped of his badge. That's right. That's right. So he gets, yeah. So he uncuffs the, because, you know, and rightly so, the reverend is like, how could that be me? That doesn't make any sense. And everybody goes like, you're insane. This is too much. Um and then I guess they leave the restaurant and then he goes back to his dinner party um, with his grandma. And then did they, I, I guess they don't have a meal. I think they just like leave. No, they leave. So Tom Hanks takes grandmother home on his moped or whatever he's driving. Oh, the, and that's the, again, super bro code. He, he like the Connie, Virgin Connie Swale and Dan Aykroyd. They're kind of having this little like, you know, Dan Aykroyd sad. He just was relieved of duty. But Tom Hanks goes, okay, I see the chemistry between the two of them. So he invites the grandma to 
guzzle down a couple of chili dogs. Even though, you know, and that even earlier, I guess it's a callback even more because he doesn't eat chili dogs and hot dogs. But he asked the grandma, have you ever eaten a chili dog off a motorcycle? And again, super bro code. He takes the grandma so the two of them can connect further. What a guy. What a wingman. We could all learn something from this movie. Well, then Ackroyd and the Virgin Connie Swales go up to Makeout Point or wherever it is. And here's something in the movie that I noticed. They never kiss. There's a few mm. scenes where they go in to kiss, but oh, they're right. always interrupted. So they never kiss in this movie. That we see. That we see. <laughs> so they, they go up and aren't they having like a, a heart-to-heart um, where like she's confessing that like... You know, she's she respects him and likes him and um oh what was it? I forget the specific request, but like everything a woman could ask for. And then she kinda digresses like, you know, well, you know, that that's not reality. And then I I think it's revealed that um she asks him, Have you ever been with anybody? And he, he goes into like, you know, yeah, I've had a oh, have you ever had a partner? Um and Dan Aykroyd was like, yeah, I had a, you know, I've had several partners. I had this guy and this person and this person and this person was a partner. And she was like, no, I mean like a partner, partner. And he kind of, it's never said, but he kind of looks up bashfully. Um, so it's not, I don't think he says it, but I, I think it cuts there where he like looks up and he's like, you know, it's a, it's essentially a no. That yeah, I think they're, they're both virgins at this point. Uh, and then. That Abel she, Muzz shows up. Oh, that's right. He flipped, he grabs the car and they go to kiss and then Emil Muzz. That's right. <laughs> to what was Michael was saying that we never see it. And then we cut. So through this, uh, through the movie, we've been having Joe Friday voiceover. And this is so beautiful. Oh, God damn it. You know what we forgot? God, Michael, what? why didn't you remind us? God damn it, Michael. <laughs> what did we forget? What did we forget? I'm going to feel we bad forgot, now. We forgot the, the, the blowing up the car, the strip club and the milk. Oh, God. Oh my God! Yes. So after okay, we'll reverse back. After they visit the pagan plant and it's empty, we cut to the next day, and Ackroyd goes to pick up Strebeck, and Strebeck is a fucking man whore in this movie. He's <laughs> he's fucking all the female cops on the force because he every night he has a new like person from the force like helping him quote unquote train. And they have handcuffs and batons and stuff in bed as it pans up to, um, you know, the next buxom fill in the blank and him grabbing a pack of condoms or cigarettes or something. Or yeah, he doesn't we have, have cigarettes. The, we have the safe sex, too, because he's always he's wearing condoms. He may be Good. a man whore, but he's wearing condoms. <laughs> we could all learn something from this movie. Ackroyd goes oh. to pick him up and we see Abel Muzz pull up in a van. You mentioned, you know, Abel Muzz shows up to flip the car. And I was just going to say, well, what? Where did Emil come from again? When did we? How did he reappear? And that's it. That's exactly it. Because he gets, um, how do they? He gets out of after he confesses, um, and then he's. What was he doing in the van again? No, he pulled up in a van, mm-hmm. and he plants a bomb in Ackroyd's car while that's they're right. while they're gone. The car blows up, and then they go. I Ackroyd goes. I need a cup of coffee. And Hanks goes, I know where they serve the best coffee in the in, in the city. And it's a strip club. And this is something, and Will and I addressed this in our Exit to Eden podcast. They're in a strip club in the middle of the day, in the middle of the week. And they have these red hot smoking 
That's not when the A team dances. <laughs> that is not when the A team is not dancing at, at eleven thirty on a Tuesday. Eleven thirty a.m. on a Tuesday. That's not when the A team is dancing at the strip club. And it's like in every movie. This is not when the A team is dancing. <laughs> I mean, that could be like C string for L A. No. G string is that too too much? Beautiful. Through a bunch of informants, they find out that they've they've mixed the chemicals, and the chemicals are being held in this milk plant where they make milk. It's a cover, and they go downtown, tanks and all, and they bust in, and it's just milk. And then after they leave, they realize the place was correct. They were just hiding. I don't know where they were hiding everything in there. But after everybody leaves, then the chemicals come out. So so they have mixed the chemicals into the deadly fertilizer gas. And then uh, in the order of uh, scenes and stuff. So that happened before the dinner scene. And, and then, then that happened the before scene. the dinner scene. Then right after that, the dinner scene happened. And okay. then the arrest. And then Joe Friday getting stripped of his badge. The car getting flipped over. So now we're back. To where we need to be, where the car getting flipped over. God damn it, Michael! <laughs> I'm really glad I got to be a track, part of this, Michael, but now I feel like a piece of shit not knowing everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're back on track. Dan Aykroyd loses his license; he gets flipped, and then I think the the mystery you were bringing up the fact that, and it was a beautiful moment. Um, so far up to this point, Dan Aykroyd has been narrating everything. Yes. And now we cut to Hanks and he's in bed with a woman and he <laughs> starts, he starts narrating. Which was awesome because Dan Aykroyd's character is out of commission. So we, now we get to see it from his, you know, overview and perspective. And that, that right there just shows the police protocol that I no longer am a policeman. So oh. I don't get to have a voice right now. Hmm. Interesting. So they realize that Connie Swales and Joe Friday have gone missing. Because he's out of condoms, so he picks up the burger phone. And yeah, then the, the burger phone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he calls, I guess, the office? No, he calls Connie Swale's mother. And oh, Connie right. Swale's mother says she's been out all night. And Hanks is like, I'm getting worried too because Joe Friday's never been out all night either. Nothing good can come of this because of right. who they are. <laughs> so then we go to the office and Hanks is talking to Harry Morgan, trying to convince him for some reason, Harry Morgan doesn't think there's anything wrong. And Hanks is like, no, there's something wrong. we got to find Friday. Doesn't and, Yeah, doesn't he like give him permission eventually? Like, okay, go do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. But then we get that, what you were talking about earlier, Will, is he walks out of the office and he sees a slovenly dressed patrol <laughs> officer and he degrades him. It's like, come on, get it, get it together, whatever. And he's like, you eat your lunch, do you get it in you or um, on your uniform? Go clean up. And then even he checks himself. He like He's like, wait a minute, where did that come from? Yeah. Like visually. So he's becoming a little bit more of a hard ass with uh, no one there to be the hard ass. Now we find out there's a scene between Dabney Coleman and Christopher Plummer. It's in a cemetery. Dabney Coleman, the guy who does the skin magazines, and Christopher mm-hmm. Plummer, they're in cahoots together. And what they're going to do is, they're going to dev- uh, they're trying to get the mayor out of office, because the assistant mayor, the woman, is on the reverend's side, and once we get her into office, then we can control her. But the mayor in the office right now is not bending to their will. 
And the plan is Dabney Coleman, they're going to divide L.A. right down the middle. Dabney Coleman is going to provide the filth, and Christopher Plummer is going to fight the filth. And they're just yep. both going to make money. Divide, yeah. The parties are playing for both sides, but the division makes money and, you know, turns the everything. All the 2020, 21, <laughs> and 22. Just saying. The plan is, Christopher Plummer says, you get the mayor to, because the uh, Dabney Coleman is going to donate a million dollars to the mayor. Or actually going to donate a million dollars to the reverend. With that donation, there's going to be a big party at Bait Mansion, and the mayor is going to be there. So the reverend says to Dabney Coleman, make sure to get the mayor drunk, get him with pictures of girls, we're going to blackmail him, we're going to get him out of office. And this was a very slight thing, which I noticed, but just really identifies how Dabney Coleman doesn't really care. Dabney Coleman is smoking a cigarette in the cemetery, and he puts a cigarette out on like a tombstone. Mm -hmm. It's like so he like he doesn't give a shit about that. There's (laughs) like this is somebody's final resting place. Right now, it's my ashtray. Even though the other guy didn't he clean it up like after he left, he like brushed it up and cleaned it. up. Oh, that I don't remember. Okay. I didn't see that. But that's a good point, like how depraved the character is. Because that's when we, there's a reveal just after he puts out the cigarette and leaves. Yes. So the reveal is that Christopher Plummer is not only going to kill the governor, he's going to kill Dabney Coleman and take the million dollar check and flee to Costa Rica or wherever he's going to go. So his plan is to kill everybody at the bait mansion tonight at the party with the gag. So, but the, isn't the the lady that comes, yeah, the, the assistant mayor comes out and she's still in cahoots with him. Because yes. that's how we reveal it is he, he tells the lady, he's like, he thinks we're going to work together. But no, he's going to be removed and we will have the power. So kind of like setting her up too, to like be part of the system. Right. Yeah, he still wants her in power. Because he'll be able to manipulate her. Yeah. So then we... So after that, it cuts to... It cuts to Hanks. So once again, we get a payoff. Remember earlier when they found the picture in the garbage? Mm -hmm. He uses that picture to find Amal Muzz at the Muscle Beach. Oh, that's right. So he's walking through the Muscle Beach and Amal Muzz is pumping iron. And he just takes his gun out and points it at him. (laughs) And goes, where's Joe Friday? <laughs> oh, yeah, because that's, yeah. And then I thought it was funny. It's like he does the whole, like, put your hands up. He doesn't say it, but the gun's pointed at him. So with the giant weights, he's, like, lifting the weights and, like, putting his hands up. Right. And then they find out um, Joe Friday and Connie, Virgin Connie Swale, are, they're tied up? They're tied up in the observatory. Oh, that's right. The Griffith Observatory. Yeah. That's a nice spot. And then um, Tom Hanks, doesn't he, this isn't the big the big thing, but t- is it Tom Hanks that goes and, and busts him out? Um, yeah. Well, we cut to the observatory and the Reverend has taken the Virgin Connie Swales and he's put her, he's going to put her on his jet and they're going to kill Joe Friday. Mm-hmm. And at that point, Hank shows up and and saves his partner. And then, so the Virgin Connie Swale and do they, is that right? Do they then, because the Reverend and Connie Swale get away. Yeah, they leave and then the bad guys, they are find gonna out. Kill, they're going to kill Friday and then Hank shows up mm-hmm. and he busts them out and then Hank's and Friday. 
go to the man because now they know where the man they know that there's going to be mayhem at the, the gas mansion is going to be released gas is going to be at the mansion and here's something and michael okay you you've explained it before michael explained this to me tom hanks goes to the much the muscle beach to get the information out of Emil muzz where dan Aykroyd is but then Emil muzz shows did he just let Emil muzz go <laughs> what happened there Abel Muzz just confessed to attempted murder and kidnapping, but what? Because he shows up later. What? 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 <laughs> what happened? Michael, I'll let you take this one. I'm I'm gonna go ahead and assume that one of uh, Tom Hanks's uh, um, training partners uh, maybe was there to apply the cuffs and or maybe just detain him for a while. Or, or I'm I'm not. Uh, going to go into too much detail, but I'm thinking that uh, there might have been someone there to keep Emil's attention so Tom could flee, so Pep could street, could flee <laughs> and go rescue his partner. But yeah, that's a very, very the uh, cinema, cinematic question. That's I, a, yeah, that's a plot hole question right there. I, I have a theory. <laughs> okay, Will. The whole time, Emil Muzz and Tom Hanks' character were working together. And you think the whole story is about the Reverend, but it's not. The deep underlying story is about there's a crooked cop in the system. And it's Tom Hanks. Cut to black. <laughs> Will, you're not allowed to talk anymore. Okay. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> so they're Who else outs- could slam someone's schnuts in a drawer? Yeah. <laughs> If they weren't a badass, yeah. So that means so that means Abel Muzz <laughs> trusted his partner so much. Oh, that explains. So maybe he didn't put his balls in a drawer. Maybe he just yep. acted like he put his balls he in a drawer. Like since there, since it would have been almost impossible to get a man's balls in drawers. Let's <laughs> see. I think we're on to something. You're still wrong. <laughs> So we're outside Bait Mansion. Hanks and Ackroyd want to bust in, and Hanks is like, you can't go in there. You're not a cop. So just go home. And Hanks sneaks in there from inside. He finds out what's going on. He finds the gas. He finds all the mayhem going on. And then he calls his captain, Harry Morgan, Bill Gannon. I'm going to nitpick here a little. He's calling Harry Morgan, and you can tell. I mean, they, they put the voice in later. It was like they didn't have the reaction and what was coming, the reaction on Harry Morgan's face that was coming through the phone didn't really match up. And like I said, it's a small thing. I just noticed it's just like, I know that was post-production, but what Hanks is saying and what is being portrayed on Harry Morgan's face, they just don't match. Well, isn't that kind of to Harry Morgan's credit as an actor, you know, going back to Colonel Potter and everything else of keeping his uh, stone face in play, no matter how many shenanigans are going on around him. I mean, that was well. This uh, should have been on the director. The director should have sure. said, "Okay, this is what I need. To, I need this face or that." And, and and it might not have been, and maybe it was the editing. It just didn't line up. What was going sure. on? Good point. Yeah, you're right. But he tells, "Bring in the army. Bring in everybody. The shit's going down at Bait Mansion." Dan Aykroyd is driving home alone, and then all of a sudden he sees all these cop cars. This whizzing past him, going to the mansion. And he's basically, he says, like, fuck it. I don't care if I'm not a cop. I'm going to get in there. Giant so gun see, battle ensues. Giant gun battle. And then we see the tank 
that they used to smash the milk factory with. It drives up again, and it smashes through the front gate, and he, you get out, and it's Friday. And I don't know how he got, not being a cop, I don't know how he got in the tank, but he's in the tank. Because, you know, he's his heart, his heart's in it. And he's like, he, you know, he probably tricked the guy. Did he, or I guess where was the tank? Does he pull it up? Anyway, anyway, he's, he's anyway, in the tank. He's in the tank. <laughs> he gets out of the tank. The whole time, Tom Hanks had the keys to the tank, and he hands it to Joe Friday. <laughs> Shut up, Will! Shut <laughs> he up! put it in his inside coat pocket. God damn it. Now you got Michael doing it. God <laughs> damn it, Will. It's like when my mom slips me 20 bucks and no one's really supposed to see her do that. Kind of a little thing, you know? <laughs> but they but they have the big gun battle, um, and they, they stop the gas from going off. They stop the gas. They arrest Abel Muzz, who should have been arrested before. Thank you. <laughs> Which later Tom Hanks lets him Shut go. Shut up, Will. A- <laughs> Shut up. He just uh, Tom Hanks does not release Abel Muzz later. Shut up. Well, wait, wasn't wasn't Tom Hanks Abel Muzz at one point? Maybe they're God, the same. God damn it, it's Michael. So much don't don't encourage that. him, Michael. God damn it. Uh, I'm Muzz Abel, Abel Muzz. Remember that? that- Oh, Christ. All right. I'm glad we redid this one, Scott. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, this has been a real thrill. Um, Now, before the gunfire happens, the Reverend has left, and he has the million-dollar check. Mm -hmm. So he's he has a million-dollar check with him. He's leaving. He's going to his jet. He's going to fly him and the Virgin Connie Swales to Costa Rica. I know Dabney Dabney Coleman lives, but if Dabney Coleman died in that fire... Would you still be able to cash it? I mean, it's a million-dollar check. That's a lot of money. They'd have to do some. Yeah. Would you be able to cash a million-dollar check if somebody just died? Like cash it? Yeah. Uh, or that's a good it, point. I don't. Or put it you in your bank account or something. I think. I just. Well, maybe he's going to one of those islands that are just like they don't care, or it's like a <laughs> one of those satellite like. <laughs> Um, Tom Hanks owns an island and he's oh fuck you Will (laughs) no but in all sincerity that you know the Cayman Islands or the offshore islands where they're just like yeah sure whatever yeah I have a whole bunch of money and it's coming from nowhere Um, and they just go with it because they have uh, sheltered accounts yeah okay that was just the thought I was I thought I had well they're going to go after the reverend but Harry Morgan who's there stops Joe Friday and he's like I can't you can't let you take a civilian on a high-speed chase. So this was a really nice. I know it was. Yeah. Ch- I know it was cheesy as hell, but it brought a smile to my face. Yeah, mm-hmm. where he's like, Same. I can't let you go without this, and he had some his badge, and the music swells, and Friday smiles. So I'm like, okay, that that's Hollywood bullshit, but goddamn it, I love cheesy, it. but good. And also, like, I think it, it was this scene, like right before Dan Aykroyd gets his, um, uh, as they're coming up or as they're leaving. I think I noticed gas was at 71 cents in L.A. Oh, God damn it. it. Yes, you're right, Will. That brought a tear to my eye. Oh, that brought a tear to my eye. I was going to mention that. Thank you for saying that. In in L.A. That that (laughs) means it was like 40 cents in the rest of the country. Oh, shit. So, yeah, that was just something I noticed before or just around the time he got a badge. Um, But Tom, so Tom Hanks and Dan Aykroyd, they start hauling to the um, to the airport. Right. And so this is where we get another callback where you see at the beginning of the movie where Tom Hanks is just belittling Ackroyd for driving like an old man. 
And then we see that scene where Ackroyd is, be, you know, just getting on Hanks' case for driving like a maniac. Now, Ackroyd is driving like a maniac because <laughs> this is a man, this is a man in love going to get the, going to get the woman who's been taken from him. He's a changed man. He's a changed man. <laughs> Hell hath no fury. Like a nope. changed Joe Friday. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. They whip in and out of traffic and Hanks is doing a lot of, you know, scare. You know, do it scared acting and. <laughs> oh, come on, Joe, slow down! Whatever those departmental regulations on high speed pursuits, I thought you were safety conscious! Just close your eyes and think of Christmas. Even crisp and even. Try a course of Silent Night. Up, he's gone. Let's go home. No, the runway. <laughs> Yeah, he's calling him on the stuff. He's like, you're running stop signs. And he's, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful, like, switch of character. They get to the airport, and what we have seen is the Reverend gets to the airport, and the, and he's got Connie Swales tied up in the plane, and the, the assistant governor, she's there, and she realizes that the shit has hit the fan. It's all over. And he double-crosses her. He's like, okay, you check for the police, and I'll let her go. And he locks himself on the plane and takes off and leaves her. Yep. So, so she's toast. The lieutenant governor. Friday and Strebeck get to the airport and they just miss him. The reverend takes off. And then the next scene, which you're going to have to explain to me, Michael. You got to explain this to me, Michael. I have a theory. Shut up, Will. <laughs> <laughs> so the reverend is flying and then all of a sudden we see a, a cop plane pull up next to him with the red light. And it's Friday in the plane and he tells him to land. But where does he la- Does he take him back to? Because if he's going to Costa Rica... Friday, they wouldn't have any jurisdiction in Costa Rica. But why would he turn back and go to L.A. if he, you know, I mean, what are they going to, are they going to shoot at him from the plane? What, how, it doesn't make sense that the plane, and they go back to L.A. because, because Strebeck is there. So they go back to L.A. So why would you turn a plane around to L.A. when you wouldn't have to? As as any good reverend would do in, a, in any situation where they realize the error of their ways, is that they would feel remorse and they would repent and they would turn back. So that's what repent means, is to turn back. So they, he turned back to face the music uh, of his evil ways. And, uh, and yeah, so we can get all... I'll churchy on that one if you want to, but I, yeah, I, I, you know, on a side note too, we we referred to all these famous and wonderful cop movies and TV shows and even Car Fifty Four, Where Are You, and you know everything else, and and of course, you know, Police Squad. It, that's that's exactly where that comes from. We're gonna throw a little slapstick in there, and Dad Gummit, I'm I'm a policeman again, and you're gonna do what's right, and I'm I'm gonna get get you to do what's right no matter what, and that involves me. All of a sudden, having my pilot's license, then, then so be it. All right. Tom Will, Hanks what, has uh, telepathy, yeah. and he's mind controlling the Reverend 
to land the plane. <laughs> That's like the twentieth time I've yanked Will's earbud out of his ear, laughing my ass off about his. Uh... I, I I hate you, Will. It's I know, <laughs> I know. There again, Muzz and Pep, one Muzz, and the same. Yeah, and you know, psychic projections, channeling. <laughs> But Buzz never very... no Buzz never existed. He was a psychic <laughs> vision of Tom Hanks. Oh. Now now Scott's on board. But no, I'm not on board. I am overboard. We've converted him. Yes, I I am Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. I am overboard. <laughs> um, but you bring up a very good point. He's like flying a jet. Why would you turn around and land? <clears throat> and how would you back where how the would you catch was? a jet having that much of a head start? Uh, I mean, it was like a military grade jet with like the full, like, I think it's like a, you know, the, like a commercial, like a private jet versus military jet. Okay. Mach three. I don't know. That's a phrase they use. Well, sometimes. anyway, so they get back to LA, the Reverend gets arrested. The Virgin Connie Wales and Dan Aykroyd are, you know, brought back together again. They're about to kiss again. And Tom Hanks interrupts them. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> But then realizes the error of his ways. Super bro code. Mm-hmm. I got to go fill out my um, p- paperwork for this case. Well, they drive away, and then the next day, Ackroyd is there, and Tom Hanks drives up with the other cop that he just banged. And... <laughs> what a fucking legend. <laughs> yeah. Literally. They're walking up the steps. Yeah. Of work. Yeah. And doesn't Dan Aykroyd, like, yawn? He does. Tom Hanks goes, rough night at the Christian reading room. Doesn't that close at 9 p.m.? Um, and then Dan Aykroyd says, well, for your information, I spent the night with Connie Swales. And he says, <laughs> don't you mean the virgin Connie Swales? And Aykroyd just looked at him and arches an eyebrow. That's all you need, man. That's all you need. That's all you need. And then Tom, or Pep's reaction was just classic partner. Yeah. Yeah. And then don't we, we have the zoom out from them walking up the steps and they go back to the next day of work. We see him walking up the stairs, and then it goes to black, and then it goes to the City of Crime rap song that Ackroyd Hanks did. Oh, that's Hanks right. Did. That's right. I did turn it off a little early, because I got yeah. a few verses in, and I was like, mm, no thanks. It's <laughs> a city of crime. And, and that is Dragnet, 1997. Wait, that was 97? 87. Oh, Sorry, 87. 87. Okay. It's an enjoyable movie. And like I said, we nitpicked a couple of spots. The chemistry between... Ackroyd and Hanks is good. All the supporting characters are good. It's a fun story. What do you, what do you guys think? Well, I just I love the how yeah, it, fantastic story. But the the layering, the layering of the the good versus evil, the uh, you know getting a little laxed, um, switching switching roles, switching points of view. Of course, having two different, uh, actually three uh, different sources of evil, how they all plot against each other, and and then they try to over overcome that evil but you know each of those bad people uh kind of gets 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 their own in the end and you know everything kind of falls together nicely it's a it's a well well wrapped little bow on a really good movie tom hanks is really shut up god damn it just tell us what you thought of the movie no in the movie i think it was well uh oh So excuse me. I'm gonna let you do that. Uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, no, no, sorry. <clears throat> the movie was, in my opinion, like well written. Like you were saying earlier, like there's so many like setups, but we actually see payoffs um, now. Where like movies just kind of like flounder and they just have tangents. Um, so just well written, well acted. Uh, it's an enjoyable movie. Um, it's something that I'll probably go back to and watch again. Um, just to, so I'm is a little bit more leisurely instead of like focused and writing notes and stuff. 
Um, but yeah, thumbs thumbs up. All right, uh, more I thumbs have... up. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, you you reviewed it before. Is there? Did you watch it again for this, or do you? Or were you just going off memory? Uh, no, I watched it. Literally got done watching it ten minutes before we started this podcast. Okay. Did yeah. you notice like watching it the first time <clears throat> originally? Uh, versus now, did you notice anything different or something a little bit more? Or was there I noticed a difference? that even though this is a cop movie, Ackroyd, like the shot he takes at organized religion, basically just saying, yeah, don't really, you can't really trust organized religion is mm-hmm. is an underlining factor. Mm-hmm. Also, he takes a shot, and not all cops are gods. Like from the original television show. Mm. Cops are infallible. Cops maybe do things that cops shouldn't do. Uh, even though it was done for comical effect here in the movie. <laughs> the, the cops aren't end-all or be-all. Cops are, are are infallible like the rest of us. But did you, I mean, do you enjoy it like as you watch it and see more as well? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. You... This is a movie okay. I could, this is a movie I could rewatch tons and tons of time. Yeah, is it like a comfort movie where like, eh, you know, nothing, I need to relax. And it's kind of like something that you put on in the background or... Um, yeah, just... yeah. Sometimes I'll watch, like, I'll get into the Dragnet television show, and after I watch a couple of episodes, I'll pop this in. It, like, it's a mm. nice homage to the to the television show. Nice. So six thumbs up is what I hear. Yes. <laughs> and can I ask one more question before we go? Sure. Did you pick up the undertones of the evil Tom Hanks in this movie? God damn it, Will. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm sorry, Scott. Will, where can we find you? What are you up to? Uh, My email address is always www.will.com at gmail.com. And I'm on the Instagrams as Gnome on the Go uh, with periods in between or Bad Bald Boss and other various social medias. Michael, where can we find you? Uh, You can get with me on Twitter, my Twitter handle. There it is, Michael, at Michael underscore ATX VOX. So please... And Scott, where do we where do we find you? Everything you want to know about me, you can find at my website, scottyblanco.com. It's got my calendar. It's where you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, all that, YouTube. When you're doing your shows, too. Yes. All that can be at scottyblanco.com. And I will awesome. put all this information in the details of the show. All right, that's it. That is another episode. I want to thank Will and Michael. Guys, thank you for doing this. It was really, really thank fun you. revisiting uh, Dragnet. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. All right, and that's it. And we'll see everybody here next time on the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. The Dan Aykroyd Podcast. Say it, Michael. Say it. The Dan Aykroyd Podcast. Do you want to say it in unison? On the count of three? No. All right. (laughs) All right, one, two, three. The The Dan 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 Aykroyd Aykroyd Podcast. 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 (laughs) Perfect. That's as good as... (laughs) (laughs) One, two, three and a half. Thanks, Scott. All right. All right, have a good day, man. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. See that stream at we're just in time. We have stumbled into a major crime. They got the girl off We're putting this party on ice. But don't you know we really ought to read them their rights? Read them their rights. Read them their rights. Well, I'm here tonight to rap about your rights. Because right now you're in trouble.
is our job to bust you all for being violent. While we are here, let's state it clear. You have the right to remain silent. Well, excuse me, comma, Mr. Crime Stopper, what is wrong with what you're doing? We just like to dance in our gold skin pants around this ancient ruin. That's not so funny that it costs big money if you ever have to hire a lawyer. It's my duty to inform you in my plan. One, fire, has been a Cross the Streams media podcast.